nothing caps off a elite amateur career like a Curtis Cup and it was I mean if I don't have an opportunity to play in, in, in a Curtis Cup again I can be really satisfied with my amateur career. Hi, everyone. Welcome back, and thanks for joining us. I'm Dave Giancola, joined, as always, by my colleague and co-host, Mike Trosel. Today, we're joined by Emilia Miliacho, member of the victorious USA Curtis Cup team, who has also been working for Golf Channel this summer as a writer and announcer, all while gearing up for grad school at Wake Forest this fall. We talk about all of that and her 486-page novel. Yes, she's a published author as well. Without further delay, here's Amelia Miliacho. Amelia, thanks so much for joining us. Congratulations on the recent victory. How are you? Thank you. I'm doing fantastic. Uh, definitely running off of a high, and it's just been an incredible week. Not too jet-lagged, so I'm pretty pumped about that. <laughs> Always a positive. Well, a huge victory for the USA team over at Conway. Uh, what was that week like? And let's go back before. What was it like finding out that you were going to represent USA on the Curtis Cup? Yeah, so I was headed back on my little buggy with my yardage guy. I had finished for the day broadcasting. So I was, you know, done, ready to go. And then I get a call from Julia Pine. And I had a feeling because I knew that the Curtis Cup team had to be announced pretty soon. So I knew that I'll have to find out within the next 24 hours where I probably wasn't on the team. Um, and she called me and she said, Hey, where are you? And I was like, Oh, I'm headed back to the compound. And she said, you need to come back to the green, <laughs> um, the 17th green where they where Jensen ended up winning the tournament. And then that's when I got the call that I was asked to be on the Curtis cup team. And it was just the best feeling ever because, you know, I'm not playing college golf anymore. I completed that and I'm still an amateur and the Curtis cup has been a dream of mine since I started college. And when I saw my teammate, Jennifer Cupcho play in it and a lot of my friends play in it and to be able to be in that spot was just one of the best feelings. Well, that, that was quite a week for you. So this is the U.S. Women's Amateur at Westchester Country Club uh, in New York. So, Amelia, you're playing in the event. Um, you do, unfortunately, lose in match play, but you did make it to match play, which is always a huge feat. But you're also working for Golf Channel as a walking announcer, <laughs> which was which was quite a week. So you get the, the call from uh, USJ President Stu Francis, and you get invited to represent USA on the Curtis Cup team. What was it like then joining... Um, you know, your fellow competitors uh, from the USA team, the GBNI, what was the pageantry like that week in Wales? It was awesome. I mean, we, half of the team came later because people were playing in Q school and needed to wait for, you know, the vaccinations to kind of clear before they were able to travel. So we had five of us early on and it was awesome. I mean, I uh, didn't know Mega Gane that well, but, you know, and I knew all the other girls and, it was just so fun. Like we had so much energy. We walked Conway mountain. We toured the castle all together. And when, um, Jensen, Gina, Brooke and Allison, I believe those are the remaining four when they arrived and Megan Schofield, when they arrived, we created posters for them, you know, saying like, welcome, congrats, just like a very welcoming environment. Um, which is just really special. Cause that's kind of what it's about, you know, um, and our caddies were kind of around our age. So we were joking around, we were playing, we played in two five sums, 
in the practice rounds, just really having a good time and kind of building on the camaraderie that we already had. And the caddies kept telling us too, like, you guys have so much energy. I mean, it's so cool to see how in sync everybody is. And we were saying it too, like, honestly, I could play with anybody um, for some or for ball. And so I feel like we kind of made it low stress for um, our captain, Sarah, when she had to decide pairings. It was just, I mean, like an awesome week and really just developed just some incredible friendships and deepened some friendships. Yeah, Amelia, you go from playing on one team at Wake Forest to playing for another at the Curtis Cup and then some different teammates from all over the country. You mentioned you you felt like you could play with anyone and anyone could play with anyone there you know, with, the, with the talent and the personalities. It seemed like you meshed really well. You ended up playing with your Wake Forest teammate, Rachel Keene, uh, twice in foursomes, and then Rachel Heck in four-ball. Yeah, how how did that get matched up? Did you have a a conversation with uh, with Captain Ingram, or or you know how was that matched up on game personality? When when did you find out about who you were going to play with the Curtis Cup? Definitely. So she asked us before we traveled there, who because foursome is kind of the important the important match on who you want to play with, what similar energy levels you have. So I had played with Rachel Keene in the Palmer Cup, and we. But we're already good friends, but we sync up so well in foursomes. Um, so it was a pretty easy choice, I think. Both of us wanted to play together. And then Rachel Heck and I, we've played four ball together many times. So I think that was also, I think we both kind of requested each other for that. So that was pretty, um, pretty probably straightforward uh, for Sarah on who, who we wanted to play with there. But yeah, I mean, we didn't, play well in the first round of foursomes uh Rachel Keene and I but I think it was mainly because um we hit driver too many times so we ended up carrying the ball too far and then rolling into um the fescue so then the second time we're like okay we don't need to hit it that far we could just get it in the fairway and then get it on the green and then make the putt and then our system worked great (laughs) (laughs) and you guys did play great the second day when when you won that that morning match in foursomes yeah, what were the nerves like for you with that atmosphere? I'm sure something you played in the Palmer Cup, but, but this might have been maybe a, a little different being over there, you know, in Wales at Conway Golf Club. Uh, what was the atmosphere like as you kind of stepped on the first tee for, for that first time and really throughout the week with, you know, lots of, uh, you know, people waving flags and whether it was red, red white and blue or, or the colors of GB and I, it seemed like there was a lot of excitement out there. Yes, there was a definitely a lot of adrenaline that I was feeling. Luckily, nerves, I didn't have as many nerves. It was mainly just adrenaline since I've been in kind of positions before where it's like super high stake. And um, especially early on in the year, I was really working on um, kind of how to channel my nerves. So because I've practiced that for so many years, it was really nice to be able to step on the tee and have excited nerves, not like, oh my gosh, like, I hope I don't top it. <laughs> so it was really nice to like be in that position where I felt confident in what I have trained for. But yeah, I mean, I had adrenaline was flowing through my whole body and I was just trying to get it in the fairway for Rachel as, you know, alternate shot too. I think um, the hardest thing about it is you want, to hit a good shot for your teammate. And if you don't, then you kind of, oh crap, like now I have them in a bad spot. So that was probably even harder than 
um, or more difficult to kind of not get down on yourself when you didn't hit the shot you wanted or the putt you wanted um, versus, you know, the first, first team nerves, but definitely a lot of adrenaline and, you know, definitely some nerves it was, it was like excited nerves. It was such an honor to be on that tee. And the Curtis cup, it can be a roller coaster as you go through all of the sessions over the three days after day one, you're down against GB and I, what was the feeling in the locker room amongst the team about how you were going to have that roaring comeback when you did eventually pull off, but what was the mindset going into day two after being down on day one? It was definitely tough, especially because we fought for those one and a half points and it was you know, I mean, we were, we were staying positive, you know, we had, we, I think we might've had pizza that night and we were keeping it super light and chill, but it is tough when you feel like you had to fight for only one and a half points and you're down, you know, you're down three points going into the next day, but we were telling ourselves, you know, it seems like we had such a big defeat today, but there was only six matches. So if there was 10 matches, you know, the scores might have been a little different. So I think we were telling ourselves that this sort of defeat that we were feeling was more mental than actually like we were down by a lot. You know, if it was uh, 10 and a half to eight and a half after the first day, we'd be like, okay, that's fine. Like we will, it's only two points. As the same thing, if it was uh, four and a half to one and a half, which is what it was. And also, um, we on the bus ride was kind of had like a little bit of a perspective shift. Cause we got Rachel Heck and I got a notification about the bombings in Kabul airport and the American soldiers that had died. And we were like, this doesn't matter. Like what we're doing, like our golf game. And we're just, it was just kind of a big perspective moment. And then our team manager, Laura Nacha, she was like, that's who we're playing for tomorrow. And I think it really just shifted the energy from, it doesn't matter if we win or lose a match. What matters is how we come together as a team. And I, I mean, it, then I think that energy that we had really showed in, in our performance. Yeah, and I think anytime you, you wear the red, white, and blue, represent your country, you know, when you get some pretty sobering news like that, that can be a little bit of a wake-up call and really put things in perspective of, of what you're doing there. Um, yeah. So, I, yeah, I'd imagine, I think when all of us got that news, it was it was a little bit shocking. Um, yeah. But you still had a, a job to do in representing your country and, and going out there, and you go into day three singles, six to six. It, it's all tied up. And you draw Annabelle Fuller for the fourth straight match. You play <laughs> Annabelle, the only returning Curtis Cup player on either side. Now, first of all, what what is it like to go up against Annabelle, who had a little bit of that experience? And then as you're playing in that singles match, because you're at second to last, do you have any idea how the rest of the team is doing through scoreboards, word of mouth, or maybe on your phone just to, to kind of know where the match stands? Yeah, a little bit. Um, my caddy was kind of telling me because there's some scoreboards out there. So I was trying to I was trying to look at it. It was a little too far away for me to see. But I knew it was going to be tight, at least until Brooke won her match. Our the people who were out there watching our captain and and um, Mega and Megan, they were like it was tight until Brooke won. And I knew I knew that's how it was going to be. I was I was expecting to have my match, you know, matter. Um, I wasn't, I wasn't hoping for my teammates to win and then it wouldn't matter. Cause then all of a sudden like your match matters and then, well, there you go. So 
but yeah, it was just, um, and then when I play playing against Annabelle Fuller, yeah, it was funny when I got that draw, I was like, well, it was exciting. I mean, she was playing really well that week. She was playing so good. She was making like freaking 20 footers for par. And I mean, she couldn't miss a putt. So I am always really excited when I'm playing against someone who's kind of at the peak of their game. She played really well in the AIG women's open and, and played really well here. So I was excited to be able to test myself against her. And it definitely felt great to get that win. Yeah. How about that? Four straight matches against Annabelle Fuller and you do <laughs> win that singles match two up on day three to help the USA clinch the Curtis cup. So you talked about having pizza after day one, when you were down, what was the celebration like after day three, when you had clinched the cup, what did the team do? Uh, yeah, we had pizza. <laughs> <laughs> More um, pizza. It was good. It was like a local, a local pizza shop, um, that we kind of, catered in I guess but yeah we were we were all in the team room first we had like about two hours like pack everything you know everything's kind of sprawled around and you get a lot of really nice gifts during the tournament so you have accumulate you always end up accumulating more stuff I find (laughs) when you travel to tournaments and then you have more things to pack which is a good problem I mean I don't mind So we kind of were doing that and then we all went into our team room and then our caddies actually came, a couple of our caddies came over for kind of celebration and a toast. But the best part was when we were kind of playing ping pong and chatting and then the GB&I players like storm into our team room with a speaker in hand. (laughs) Um, And It was just so much fun because like, honestly, that's why I remember most about the Curtis Cup is just uh, Hannah Darling, like killing it with the ox, like playing all the best music. <laughs> and um, yeah, like that, that's just sort of what I remember about it. And it was, it was, I mean, just such an awesome night to kind of cap off a great week. Uh, that's great. I mean, there's, there's a lot of competition, obviously when you're, you're on the golf course, you know, between the ropes and, and playing, but it seems like a lot of great camaraderie when you're off the course and great respect and friendships, I'm sure you formed that week um, from the players that maybe you didn't know before that you'll have the rest of your life. That's a, a really a great experience. And, and I saw one of your Instagram posts. You said an amateur's dream finally fulfilled playing in the Curtis cup. I'll cherish these memories for life. Um, just can, can you put pers- in, into perspective, you know, what that week was like and, and maybe what your hopes are in the future. Now that you mentioned you're, you're probably not going to turn pro. What you know, are you hoping to be back in the Curtis cup in the next few years? Yeah, I, I think I, I definitely, if I had the opportunity to play in the Curtis Cup again, I would take it. I've been kind of back and forth on when I need to go, when I want to go full in on broadcasting. And I was telling myself, you know, I can I can broadcast and I can write for the rest of my life, but I'm only going to have an opportunity to play in a Curtis Cup probably one more time. And since this is so close, um, it's definitely something that's on my mind and I'm kind of trying to figure out, you know, how I can train for it, what tournaments to play and like how to keep my game sharp. Because since I am a full-time graduate student and I do have some jobs that I'm working in grad school, so it's going to be a little interesting to navigate, but I'm really excited to embrace that part. I'm doing Solheim Cup recaps this week, which I'm really excited about. So just kind of, it's nice that I have a lot of options, a lot of different directions that I want to go. But I mean, yeah, like nothing caps off a, 
elite amateur career like a Curtis Cup. And it was. I mean, if I don't have an opportunity to play in, in, in a Curtis Cup again, I can be really satisfied with my amateur career and, you know, probably still do some USAM qualifiers and um, stuff like that. But I'm just kind of taking it moment by moment and just really enjoying things that come my way, but just really focusing on just the present and kind of being a grad student, living just regular life. Yeah, you have a lot going on this summer, this fall, uh, and I guess that kind of begs the teaser that you know the 2022 Curtis Cup from Marion Golf Club is just around the corner. It'll be June 10th through 12th, 2022. Obviously, um, the, the Curtis Cup that you just participated in pushed back to this year because of the COVID-19 pandemic. So we get kind of a treat, two Curtis Cups uh, really, really close back to back, and that one will be uh, televised here in the States on Golf Channel, the NBC Sports family of networks, which obviously you're very familiar with. But I wanted to dive back into your summer just a little bit more, Amelia, going back to obviously you, you participated in the U.S. Women's Amateur, also broadcasting that for Golf Channel, as we talked about. You also had a great run uh, at the Augusta National Women's Amateur, um, where Subasa Kajitani took it home on the first playoff hole, but but you were in that playoff. What was that experience like making that run down at Augusta? It was very interesting because I didn't even consider a playoff after I had finished. And I was like, if I got to even par, maybe, but you know, I missed, I like barely missed my birdie putt on 17. I made a great up and down on 18, but I was very satisfied with my round. Like, you know, I gave it my all it was a great week. And it wasn't until an hour later. Well, I was told that, Hey, you're probably going to be, in a, you could be in a playoff. And then it was really hard to shift from, you know, a satisfied tournament to getting back in the zone. And it was a great lesson in that moment because like the whole, the entire time during that playoff, I was just trying to get back into like what was happening. Like I have a chance to win the Augusta national women's amateur. And it just still felt all a blur. I feel like I needed like 10 or so minutes to like, you know, think about it for a second, but it, I mean, it was a great experience. What I loved about it was that I had, I was able to raise my expectations every day during the week. So I, my goal was to make the cut because I'd missed the cut in 2019. And then I played really well in stroke play. So then my goal was, okay, I want to finish really well. And then I started making some birdies early on in the, in the round at Augusta national. Okay. Well, my goal, I'm trying to win this thing now. And it was, you know, I didn't end up doing that, but I got really close. So when you are able to keep raising your expectations, you do a lot better than your initial expectation, which was lower. So it was, it was just an awesome week and having my mom on the bag, like there's nothing like more special than that. That really is special. And then, you know, your summer continued, obviously, beyond playing, as, as we've alluded to, your work with Golf Channel, both from the writing side for the website and, and, uh, and that angle, but also um, the, the walking announcer role that, that you took up this summer uh, started out at, at the Girls Junior um, at, at Columbia Country Club outside Washington, D.C., and then followed it up at the U.S. Women's Amateur at Westchester Country Club. And you worked with two great producers, Rob Sharp and, and Brant Packer, and I was at both of those. And I'll, I'll be the first one to say, you did just a terrific job uh, first first off. But what was that like being on that side of the golf broadcast and actually covering some of your peers as well? That's got to be challenging too. Yeah, it was, it was so much fun. I mean, I think that when I was at the Girls Junior, 
I was definitely trying to get a hang of it a little more. But once I was at the Women's Amateur, I was just having a blast. Like I was talking to the members and, and then, you know, going on air. But it was a great experience for many reasons. One, it felt as close to me playing a competitive round as I could get. Cause I'm like extremely focused on what I'm doing. I need to like really think about what I want to say and how I want to frame a shot or a situation. And I'm doing that for the whole round. And so by the end of it, you're drained, but in a good way and being able to commentate on the like players that I know was really special because I feel like I have an insight into maybe their game or their mindset as a player and as a friend of theirs that other people may not see or, or understand. And I'm, it's exciting for me to be able to kind of explain that and, and, and talk about it. But the, one of my favorite parts about it was when you're on air, you are working comp- like as a team, like it's so collaborative. Everyone has to help everyone. There's no, well, I'm doing a great job and you're not. So haha, you suck. It's like, you know, we're all helping each other to produce a great show. And especially, I mean, I'm such a team oriented person. So I, I loved college golf and um, obviously team like tournaments, like the Curtis cup are just really special for me. So to be able to, be in a situation where it's also very much a team oriented environment was just like a really awesome. I just felt like I really thrived in that area. Amelia, we're all golf fans. We like to play golf. We like to watch golf. Anyone who's listening to this podcast probably feels the same way. You know, what's something that the people who, you know, who are watching maybe don't realize or, or can't appreciate about what it's like to be a walking announcer, to be out there, following along either some of the challenges or you know, some of the, the factors that uh, they just may not realize are, are part of what you deal with? That's a great question. I think you can't get too focused in watching the golf. I remember when Kate Cockrell, we were rehearsing at the girls junior and she was kind of helping me. And, and um, I think I was watching maybe the, I don't know what match I was watching, but Alexa Panda was in it and some other girl and they were hitting their drives. And I just kind of looked at their drives and kind of sat there for a second. She's like, okay, go to their balls, go look at the lie, like go, go check it out. So you always have to be thinking one step ahead. And especially on the producer side, you, I mean, you're thinking about five different things as a, as an on-course reporter, I have, you know, five different voices going on in my head that, in the microphone that I'm hearing or my headset, but a producer has, I mean, 10 times more of that. They have like a bunch of different TVs they're looking at. The producer is telling the story. So as a viewer, you see, Oh wow, that was like really nice. That was like a great, you know, showing and you don't really know why, but it's because of the producer and, and um, how well they're able to, okay, we want this shot, this shot. And um, also when, you know, you're really in sync with the people in the booth and you're able to feed off of each other and you're able to give really good insight. I mean, so yeah, there's, there's so much that goes on behind the scenes. And I think it's really cool to like be, be in that side. Like people don't know all the work that you do to produce a great show, but it's like such a cool feeling to know that no one has to know, like, that's okay. Like, we're happy to be behind the scenes and do all these little things to have people, the the audience be really satisfied. 
It really is such a team effort, and it all comes down to communication. And this could be a podcast in itself, but golf just so different than other sports when it comes to production production for television you know a football game a soccer game you're following one ball and every announcer is watching that one ball right but golf uh, what are you going to show when Uh, a bunch of different balls in the air quite literally on different holes and no announcer just sitting in the press box can see the entire course so uh, it really is a a team atmosphere and you were a fantastic part of those two announced teams for the girls junior and the women's amateur something else you've done uh, on the writing side that we wanted to touch on today was was write a novel (laughs) <laughs> which is which is <laughs> tremendous. A 486-page novel called Just an Illusion. Can you just talk us through what drove you to write the novel and what that process was like as well? Yeah, I've always loved writing. When I look back at some of the work I have as a kid, I don't know if I still have it, but um, I, th- I remember the first book, little book I wrote. I don't know how many pages it was. Probably like I have a feeling it was probably like at least 50 pages, but it was about this girl that, um, cause we have a woods in our backyard. So my neighbors and I would always play in the woods. And so this little story was that a girl who loved, you know, playing in the woods with her friends and she sees this haunted house and, or like this like old house and like explores it and it's like haunted or whatever. So I wrote, that's kind of like the first like longer story I wrote. I think I was in seventh or eighth grade. I was in middle school. Um, but I, I have, uh, little stories about my trip to Camp John Lee in the fifth grade, our little field trip. And that was probably like, uh, I think that was three or four pages handwritten front and back. So, and I have, I remember I have age 10 and I have the date on there. <laughs> um, so I've always just really loved writing and I took two creative writing classes in high school and we had this one assignment and, um, it was on setting. So we had all this description and the writing that I had just really intrigued me. And I told my teacher, I was like, I think I'm going to write a book. Like, I think I want to like really write a book on this. And he was like, yeah, go for it. And, um, I was really determined. Like I, I would, I would write almost every day. I would write when, when I would travel to tournaments, like I was like, I am finishing this. Um, and it was hard. Like I had to, redo like the first 150 pages because you know I started it when I was 16 Blake Donovan the main character had like perfect features and all this stuff and I'm like okay we gotta like scratch like half of this um so it was really hard like there was moments where I was like I don't know if I'm gonna finish this but yeah definitely was the most satisfying feeling to uh, have a video where there's a uh, opening a box and it's my novel and and it looks perfect exactly the way I want it and yeah definitely like a really special feeling for me. Well, an, an incredible accomplishment. Uh, years of of hard work and I'm sure blood, sweat, and tears went into that. Certainly something to to be proud of and, and something for our listeners to uh, to check out. Just an illusion, a 486 page novel. So, uh, but I've heard it's quite a page turner. So uh, that, yes, it that reads fast. I promise. <laughs> And Amelia, we're talking to you here. It's September 1st. It's 8.30 in the morning here on the East Coast. Uh, You just told us before we started recording, you have class in an hour and a half. It's your first class as a a grad student here at Wake Forest. Talk about what's next for you this fall. Yeah, I have. So I'm a graduate student at Wake Forest University. It's a two-year program. And I'm already loved it. I love school and love learning and challenging myself in that way. So it's been a really cool environment. I'm getting my master's in communication. Um, I'm also 
a teacher's assistant. So it's an academic scholarship, um, which is really cool opportunity. Um, I'm teaching public speaking. So very excited. Basically my job is to tell everyone they're doing great um, and maybe give like one or two tips on how they can improve, but really just building everyone's confidence in speaking, which is really exciting for me to do. And I also am interning in the athletic department uh, in career development. So just making sure people are good on what they're doing after college, like the daunting, the daunting question no one wants to hear. Um, and yeah, def- um, it's definitely, I'm still working with Golf Channel. I actually am, um, I wrote something for the LPGA on kind of Curtis Cup and Solheim that I submitted uh, this morning. So um, definitely like a little slower on the writing and broadcast side during school, but I'm excited to pick it back up when school ends. So yeah, it's kind of a two-minute overview of what's going on. <laughs> you make it sound so simple, but I, I, I don't think you're busy <laughs> enough, Amelia. I think you need to pick something else up. That is absolutely tremendous. But, you know, on that note, we want to let you get going uh, to, to class in just uh, just an hour and a half. But thank you so much for joining us, and congratulations on taking home the Curtis Cup. Made us, made us all proud here watching, and uh, we wish you all the best moving forward. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. And folks, if you missed the coverage of the Curtis Cup, head over to the Curtis Cup or USGA YouTube channels and check out the highlights. They're there for you to enjoy. And again, another Curtis Cup right around the corner, 2022 from Marion Golf Club in Ardmore, Pennsylvania, outside Philadelphia, June 10th through the 12th, 2022. So for my co-host, Mike Trosel, and our guest, Amelia Miliacho, I'm Dave Giancola, and we'll talk to you next time.